Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. So when I prepared this message, I said, Tasha, I need you to uh, do this interview with me. And she was like, well, I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm going down to Phoenix because I'm going to find out uh, what the gender of our grandchild is going to be. And so uh, she's down there. Uh, Yesterday was a very significant day uh, in our life as a family. Yesterday would have been my mother's 77th birthday. And she's gone now for 32 years. Uh, And it's very difficult to process all of that. But in the midst of that, my oldest daughter, Anastasia, was born uh, 26 years ago yesterday uh, on my mother's birthday. Her name means Anastasia Donne Joy. It means resurrection morning joy. Tasha and I were 26 when we started this church. Our oldest is now the age we were. When we started this church, she and her husband, Chris, are planting a church uh, with a network of churches called Antioch uh, in the Phoenix, Arcadia area. And basically tonight, I get to find out, because I've decided what my grandpa name's going to be. I've been working on this, right? Have you all ever seen the Dr. Pepper can? It's got a 23 on it. Have you ever noticed that? Well, check it out. Uh, I've got a little bit of history with the number 23 now. And I've decided my name, Joseph, is going to be Dr. Pop, P-O-P-P-A, Dr. Papa. Does that make sense? Dr. Pop, P-O-P-A. Thank you. Like Dr. Pepper, but Dr. Papa, all right? And we're going to find out tonight whether it's a little girl or a little boy. So let's take a little poll. How many people believe I'm having a granddaughter? I'd like to see your hand, okay? All right. How many people think I'm having a grandson? I'd like to see your hand. Okay, just for the record, Tasha, I know you're watching. More people in the house believe we're going to be having a grandson, and I'm going to go with that as well. I'm going to go with that as well. And so we'll see tonight. Do you know that 23 years ago today, we moved into that building over there? Can you believe that? See, if you keep showing up, God will show out. If you keep showing up, God will connect the dots of your life. And the good will drown the bad. But if you fixate on the bad, you will miss out on the good. That's a promise. You say, where? All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let me say it another way. If you keep showing up, the good will outrun the bad. It'll drown the bad. I want to invite you today to take your program, take your Bible or your internet device. I want to invite you to share the service today. Lots of people online today. Good morning, Becky. It's good to see you online. 
good to have you uh, with us in the house online. We're going to look at unity in the grind. Unity in the grind. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? How do you have unity in the grind? Paul's going to show us today how to live this out, and I want to encourage you uh, to come and be a part of our vision casting night on October 25th. I know that people have questions about Vanguard Tri-Lakes. They want to know what's going on, what's taking place, and we will answer all of your questions on October 25th at Vision Casting Night right here in this room. I want to encourage you to come, be a part of it, and we'll engage in real discussion. Uh, But I, I want to encourage you that as we continue to live out our mission, as we continue to live out our mission, God wants us to walk in unity with one another. The Bible says that unless two agree, they can't walk together. And so as we do this, I want to encourage you today, as you look at your life and as you walk in unison with Jesus Christ, how do we live in unity in the body of Christ? Now, let me start with how do you and Jesus live in unity with one another? How do you and Jesus and your spouse live in unity with one another? How do you, your spouse, if you have children, and Jesus live in unity with one another? And then how do you take that outside the four walls of your home and go into your community and into your church? How do we live this out in real relationship with one another? So I want us to begin today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, Paul's coming back to what we talked about last week as well. Therefore, I, Paul says, a prisoner for serving the Lord. I beg you, I beg you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Your mama didn't call you, your daddy didn't call you, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your wife, or your husband didn't call you. You say, who did? Jesus did. And if you're looking to some other human being to determine your calling, you've missed the focus. God wants you to talk to him. So how do we live in unity with one another? There is an attitude that God wants us to have. And without this attitude, we will not live in unity. And that attitude is, I am a servant. That's it. So how do we live in unity? Number one, see yourself as a servant and no more. We easily forget who we are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we say, you know, Christ, I'm the celebrity, my titles, my positions, my perspectives. We lose sight of our purpose. We go, Lord, look, look, look. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is when Jesus tells Peter, what he's going to do for everybody. And Peter says, no, Lord. Do you realize those two words don't go together? The word Lord means yes, right? 
And how often in all of our lives do we look at what God says to us and we go, no, Lord. And I just want to invite you today to ask yourself this very simple question. Where in my life do I no longer see myself simply as a servant of the Lord? Where in my life is selfishness taking over? Where in my life is entitlement taking over? Where in my life is the enemy saying, you know, you deserve better than that? Where is that? Where is that in your life? Where is that in my life? Where am I saying to the Lord, you know, Lord, and the Lord and I were in these arguments, you know, back in April of this year. And I said to the Lord, I believe I might be at my end. And the Lord said, good. So I want to teach you something that I've been waiting decades to teach you. You go, wait, I've been teaching the Bible for decades, Lord. And the Lord says, yes, and now I'm going to teach it to you. I'm going to teach it to you. There is no substitute for humility. And you know as well as I do with age, comes arrogance. Oh, I thought only the youth. No, 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 no. No, no, no. There is, arrogance shows up differently as you age. It shows up like this. Uh, Bitterness, unforgiveness, chronicling everything you've done for God that he hasn't done for you. Huh? Letting him know how your life's turned out a way that he screwed it up. Yeah, we get in these Job moments where we want to let God know everything we've done for him and everything he hasn't done for us. So here's a question. Are you on planet Earth for God to serve you or for you to serve God? Yes, (laughs) I understand. I understand. But what happens in our lives, if you give in to your disappointment, you are saying to God, you are supposed to be here to serve me. If you endure your disappointment, you are saying to God, I am here to serve you. Amen? Each one of us have to make this choice to serve him, to serve his church, or to serve our own interest. Yeah. And that's true for all of us, every one of us. You know, when you're young and you start having kids, you don't think about the fact that you're going to spend decades serving them. No. And you know as well as I do, if you're married, there's a bargaining tool, you know. Who's going to take care of this child this time? Right? And see, what's beautiful about children is that they bring to the surface the selfishness that's in your marriage. Hmm? No? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I'm going to get married and have kids and feel significant. I highly recommend you don't. (laughs) Don't. Don't. Verse 2. Be humble. And gentle. Be humble and gentle. Well, how do I do that? Here you go. He's going to tell us. Be patient with each other. Don't you just love being patient? You wake up in the morning and go, who can I be patient with today? You run up to people. Paul, can I be patient with you today? Is anybody looking for patience I'd like? Do you know why nobody wants to be patient? Because patience feels like everybody else is running over you. Huh? At least that's what it feels like to me. When you're patient with people, you go, well, how many more drive-bys are there going to be? I don't know how any more honest to be with you than this, okay? If, if, if this isn't honest enough for you, I got nothing else for you. And see, if you're patient with people, you'll feel like the world and, and all the circumstances are running over you. But if you're not patient, guess what? You'll be running over everybody. And you have to make a choice. See, humility requires you to pause, and gentleness is how you engage. You say, have you perfected this? Not even close. Be patient with each other. Well, how how can we be patient with each other? He tells us, make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So how do we live in unity? Number two, we serve each other. We serve each other. See, Tasha and I have been married three decades now, okay? And in those three decades, you know what we've discovered, Steve? There's things we don't like about each other. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? There's things I don't like about Tasha. There's things she doesn't like about me. There's things that... that we no longer argue about because they're not going to change. You say, what's the best solution when you're in conflict in your marriage? Tell God all the ways you want him to change your spouse. And then he'll tell you all the ways you need to change. Right? See, holy sandpaper is iron sharpens iron, so one man, one woman sharpens another. That's basically what marriage is. Humble and gentle means we don't run over each other. And Tasha and I over the years have had to learn how uh, to communicate with one another, not in the way we want to say it, but in the way each of us need to hear it. So what is humility in marriage? Learning to say to your spouse what they need to hear the way they need to hear it. And that's not just true in marriage. That's true in friendship. That's true in church life. That's true in all relationships. 
Are you trying to say to this person what they need to hear the way they need to hear it so that it can be best and most productive for them? Or are you just wanting to tell them how they've hurt you? Are you just wanting to be angry? Are you just wanting to get back at them? Are you just wanting to jab back? Are you tired of them running over you? See, because what happens in marriage is we get tired of our spouses running over us. And see, it doesn't just happen privately. It happens publicly. It happens unexpectedly. It happens unintentionally. And in these moments, quite honestly, if you'll practice in the most proximity, uh, in, the, in the closest relationships of your life, if you'll learn how to be humble and gentle in the closest relationships, you'll be amazed at how it will begin to ripple out into the concentric circles of the other relationships of your life. You want to know when you've grown in maturity in your marriage? When somebody who doesn't like you can say something about you and your spouse says, that's true, but I still love you. Amen? See, truth is truth regardless of who says it and how they say it. And here's what I've learned. See, I've done this for so long, 26 and a half years I've been a pastor. And here's what I've learned. Only your enemies will tell you a few things that the people who love you won't tell you. The problem is they won't tell you the way they need to tell you, the way God would want you to be told. But if you'll listen to your critics, you'll learn things about yourself that nobody else will tell you. And you'll benefit from it. That's what humility is. Humility is recognizing that people may criticize certain things about you and maybe they go about it the wrong way, but there's something you can learn even in that. Even in that. Amen? So we serve each other. You want to know the best way to deal with the consternation in your marriage? Serve your spouse. Serve them where you want to criticize them. Make allowances means stop running over other people when they offend you or when you don't get your selfish way. But you know what? You have to stay to love someone. Number three, always keep yourself This is interesting. This is an action item that is up to you. And I want you to see the language here. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit. So I've been praying a lot in my sleep lately. It's kind of a weird thing. And I'll wake myself up telling the Lord how grateful I am of how good he is to me. Try it. You'll just go right back to sleep. Because the enemy will wake up and go, look at that. You go, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Your love never fails. I'm so grateful. 
before I know it, I'm snoring again. Amen? Well, Tasha would say, no men. <laughs> Always keep yourself united in the Holy Spirit. Bind yourselves with peace. So how do we stay united? Number three, you pray with those you serve. Pray with those you serve. You ever notice how hard it is to pray with your spouse when you're angry at them? You ever notice that? See, if you don't learn how to pray with your spouse when you're in conflict, you'll never learn how to pray with other people. Or if you're not married, if you never learn how to pray with those that you're in closest relationship with when you're in conflict, you'll never learn how to pray for your enemies. See, take it upon yourself the opportunity to pray with those you're in conflict with. And you'll learn how to pray for those who despitefully use you. You'll learn how to bless them. You'll learn how to take your hands off of the injustices of your life. You'll learn how to love well. Now, you might be thinking at this point, this concept of unity is too painful. See, there's a reason why Jesus said in John 17, I pray that they will be one as the Father and I are one so that the world may know who I am. See, what's so important about the unity of friendship, the unity of marriage, the unity of the church is because when we're unified, Christ is best known. And you need to be really careful when you disunify the body of Christ. You need to make sure that Christ is asking you to do something that could bring some disunity to the relationships. You've got to be really careful. So pray with those you serve. Now, if we don't give up on community and unity, look at verse 4. We'll be able to say this. We're all one body. See, Tasha and I have been married 30 years, and marriage is about becoming one. The question is, which one? And how many times have she and I had this conversation? Well, you just want me to be just like you. Yeah. Pretty good guy. Yeah, why not? Why not? And so think about the two or three areas in your, if you're married, where you go, well, I don't know that we've still decided who's, which one we are in this. See, this is what real relationship is, is this wrestling match. Yeah, the challenges. We're all one body. Huh. We have the same spirit. We have all been called to the same glorious future. Now I want you to see there's one word that just repeats and stands out in this verse. Which word is it? Same. Work on unity now because you're going to need it then. Work on unity now because you're going to need it then. Do you think when you get to heaven, you're going to go, I'm going to do my best to try to avoid that person? I mean, the Lord's probably going to assign you to tend to one of his golden avenues with them. 
Do you understand that when we get to heaven, we're going to work. Work was a part of the world before the fall, and it will be a part of the, of the eternity after the fall. And we're going to engage in work activities. We're going to do things. So we're, we're all one body. Our giftings tend to lend to disunity, though. You ever thought about that? We sometimes have conflict with each other. We're in the same body, same spirit, and yet we have conflict. So Paul addresses this. Look at Ephesians 4, 5. There's only one Lord. His name's Jesus, by the way. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. I couldn't help but notice yesterday in the news that Israel's at war. I don't know if anyone else has noticed. And some of those images of the Gaza Strip, I've been to some of those exact places. Like massive disunity that could ripple if it gets out of control, here we go. Here we go. I mean, this is serious. What's happening in Israel right now is very serious. It's extremely serious. However, he's given each one of us a special gift according to the generosity of Christ. So how do we be unified? Number four, crave ice cream, but don't argue the flavor. I'll explain. Crave ice cream, but don't argue the flavor. See, in the spiritual realm, faith is ice cream in the analogy. Stay with me. In the spiritual realm, faith is ice cream. It's the analogy I'm going with. Now, what's your favorite ice cream? Let's hear Somebody already said it, Caitlin. Thank you. Vanilla. Okay. But we won't hold it against you. Dave? Okay, just vanilla. Any particular brand? Just go with anything. Others? Favorite ice cream flavor? Huh? And cookies and cream. Okay. Now, just so you know, your flavor of ice cream tells a lot about your personality, so stay with me. I'm waiting to hear Rocky Road. Who, who, who likes Rocky Road? Thank you, thank you. I see those hands. Well, my wife likes mint chocolate chip. Come on, Josh. Give me a break. Like every time I try mint chocolate chip, I go, why eat ice cream? Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a pralines and cream kind of guy, all right? Contrary to popular opinion, it's not Rocky Road, okay? Here's the thing in the spiritual realm. We all serve the same God, Jesus Christ. And ice cream is faith. We all have, share the same faith. 
But see, when we begin to exercise the flavor of gift God has given us, we go, I don't like the taste of that person. I don't like the way God has gifted that person. That person stands in the way of me being able to do what I want to do. Hmm. And see, learning to live in unity is not uniformity. When you come to the party, God serves all flavors. Amen? And you better be really careful creating a church that only serves one flavor. You'll miss. You'll miss what God is doing. Be careful in your marriage not learning how to allow other flavors to be present. Yeah? See, those awkward moments early in marriage where you're just verbally beating the life out of each other, God's in it. And see, in a marriage, you have to learn how to blend the two flavors into one. Mmm. I'm not a Neapolitan kind of guy, I'll tell you. You can ask my wife. If I like it, I love it. If I don't like it, I hate it. She says to me, could you please stop using that word? I go, you mean the word hate? I'm just trying to describe to you how I feel. I don't, I hate that flavor of ice cream. We've had that conversation more than once. So we all crave a flavor, but we don't argue the flavor. That's the whole point of verse 7. Look back at verse 7. He's given each one of us a special gift according to the generosity of Christ. You know what's funny is that in the body of Christ, we try to make everybody like us. And God wants us to gather people around us that aren't like us, externally and internally. But that's not easy, is it? Jesus lowered himself to serve us so that we could serve him so his rule would fill the earth. So look at verse 8. This is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives. That's us. He gave gifts to his people. That's us. Notice that it says he ascended. This means that Christ first came down to the lowly world in which we live. The same one who came down is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that his rule might fill the entire universe. How do we live in unity? Number five, remember the gifts is to serve him. See, God gave us the spiritual gifts he gave us so that we could serve him, not so they could serve us. You say, well, how do I know if the gift God has given me is serving him and not myself? I want you to think, this is a very convicting question for me. I assume it will be for you as well. Does the gift he's given you, does it show his rule in your life? Or does it cause people to see how talented you are? Is it about you or him? 
See, when you exercise the gift that God has given you, you go, well, Lord, if I exercise this gift, there's people that aren't going to like me. Yeah, huh? Yep. Well, I want to be liked. Tension. Tension. See, when you exercise the gift that God gives you, does it show his rule or does it endear everybody to you and show how talented you are and how great you are, how amazing you are? See, the gifts are supposed to point to his rule, his sovereignty, not to our abilities. Look at verse 11. He, Jesus, he's the one who gave these gifts to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Did you know these are gifts, by the way? These are not offices. These are gifts. Some of us in the room are apostles. We have the gift of apostleship. Some would call it entrepreneurship. Prophets. You say, what's that? You have the ability to run your mouth when everybody wishes you would stop. <laughs> Evangelist. Evangelist. Don't take risks to reach the lost. Pastors. See, when I think of Pastor John, I think of the gift of pastorship. The word pastor is not an office. There's only two offices in the New Testament, and pastor's not one of them. There's overseer, bishop, elder, presbytos. There's deacon. That's it. There are no other offices in the New Testament. Study it. Pastor is not an office. Unfortunately, it's become one in our modern-day church, but it's, biblically, it's not accurate. Teacher is not an office. It's a gift. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature, full-grown in the Lord. I look forward to that day. Measuring up to the full stature of Christ. How do we live in unity? Number six, remember the gift is to equip others to serve him. It's not so you can feel good about you. It's so you can equip others to serve him. So who are you equipping? This is one of the core values of Vanguard. Who are you equipping in your life? For the kingdom. Now, why is this so critical? Look at verse 14. Then we'll no longer be like children. Forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth. This is really important, though. We will hold to the truth in love. Becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, under his direction, the whole body, I love this, is fitted together. 
Somebody say it. Perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Unity has nothing to do with what you say or don't say. Unity has everything to do with whether or not we work together. Does that make sense? And so oftentimes we hold up unity in the body of Christ as something we don't say or we say, and therefore it's unity. No. It has to be holy. It has to be honest. Otherwise, it's not unity. It has to be truthful. It has to be loving. Otherwise, it's not unity. Now, the way that unity occurs is that Tasha and I say to each other, we're going to work together. We're going to work on this marriage together. We're going to work on this church together. We're going to work for God's kingdom together. And when we work together and we stop arguing over flavors... then there's unity. There's unity. There's never been a time in our marriage in 30 years that Tasha and I have been more unified than we are now. But it's not because we agree. It's because we've chosen to work together. Amen? We have to choose to work together. It's a choice we make every day in every relationship. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.